So um, church, can I ask for your participation today? I mean, the first service was really good at doing that, so um, I want you guys to better that. So um, just uh, two things. Typically when we um, speak on topics um, like I'll speak on today, what our minds go to is to start thinking about all the people that we know that this message would apply to. I don't want you to do that today. I want you to start thinking about how does this message apply to me? Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Um, those of us this week who um, know for certain that you have not sinned, let me see a show of hands. Great. I didn't want you to kind of waste your Sunday because if that was the case, um, this message would not be for you and, um, you know, you could leave if you wanted to. You see, brothers and sisters, after we have been given you spiritual life by God, we continue to struggle with sin. And we will continue to do so until we are glorified with Jesus. So because we continue to sin, how should we respond when we do? I believe that God's word here in Psalm 51 gives us instructions on how we should respond. And um, hopefully, by I'm through today, we'll have a clearer picture of what God requires from us when we sin. We want to know what kind of response pleases our Father. Um, do you want to please him? Yes. No, that doesn't sound better than 9.30 service. Do you want to please him? Yes. Okay, a little better, yeah. Let's jump right in and find out how. So the title of my message uh, today is Responding the Right Way When We Sin. And um, I'll have a few takeaways for us, and the takeaways will be four things to help us know we are responding the right way when we sin. Um, if you haven't turned to Psalm 51, take your time and turn to it now because we're going to be going through it um, verse by verse. Um, I, I know you're quite used to that because that is what um, used to happen while I was here, and I don't think that has changed. Now, let me give you some background to um, why David wrote this psalm. In 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan confronts David about his adultery with Bathsheba and his subsequent murder of her husband, Uriah. Nathan sets David up with a story about a wealthy man who steals the one beloved sheep that a poor man had. And naturally, naturally, David gets stirred up by the story and declares the death sentence on the rich man. And then Nathan slaps him in the ribs and says, David, you are that rich man. So, how do we recognize we're responding the right way when we sin? First, we recognize we choose to sin and are in need of God's help. Let me read verse 1 to 3 again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
You see, David recognizes that he was sinful from birth. Verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David, David isn't blaming anyone. He has this God-given insight that compels him to confess not only his actual sins, but the deep infection of his entire nature. David has a clear understanding of sin. Now, depending on the translation you use, I know um, you use the ESV here. Um, David's um, sin is described in Psalm 51 as rebellion, evil, transgression, and iniquity. Let me um, just do a quick word study uh, with us. Transgression. Um, that's a betrayal of trust. For there to be a betrayal of trust, there has to be a relationship of trust. David has a relationship with God. How do we know that? In Psalm 53, he speaks of the Lord as his shepherd. And here he is in Psalm 51, begging God not to take his Holy Spirit from him. Iniquity it means um, distorted, like when something is bent or crooked, as opposed to upright or straight. And rebellion is opposition to authority and a desire to be one's own boss. You see, when we sin, we miss the mark, the specific mark of loving God and loving others. Now, David is comprehensive when describing his sin. He's not throwing water on it. He's not making light of it. He's not clothing it in culturally appropriate words so he feels better about himself. He sinned, and he's not sinning again by responding sinfully. Here are sinful responses we all make when we sin. First, we minimize. And this is when we think that sin is not a big deal. And usually this happens when we're comparing ourselves with others. We legitimize, thinking God will approve of sin because it may have a positive outcome eventually. Rationalize, thinking that you had a good reason to sin the way you did. Blame shifting. This one for certain we know has its roots from the Garden of Eden. You know, he made me do it. She made me do it. We victimize. We say, I can't help it. Or, I was born this way. How about partial confession? Confessing but trying to save face at the same time. Like saying, I'm sorry if what I did made you feel that way. Diversion. No, I know, or I thought I was really good at this one. Manipulating the environment to deflect a sinful situation. And then there's mere confession. Saying, I'm sorry, Lord, without a commitment to turn away from what you are sorry about. Not only does David recognize that he's sinful, 
He's at the place where he knows he needs help. And he has come to the right place. He is seeking help from God. He's at the point where he realizes that his vain fig leaf attempt to cover sin will never work. And he's now broken and humble before God, begging for mercy. Have you ever been wrong and deep down you know it's just plain stupidity to continue along the path? Have you? But because of a prideful desire to save face and the appeal of sin, you dig your heels in. I have been there. Have you? Have you? Okay. (laughs) David was wrong and strong. But now he's broken, contrite, seeking real help. He does not want platitudes. He's not signing up for the help, the self-help gym. He desires help from God. Listen to what he writes in verse 1 again. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David is here appealing for God's mercy. And guess what? God's mercy was already there. You know how I know that? He was alive to be begging for mercy. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that he provided Nathan to call out his sin. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all start walking through the corridors here at Hope Mississauga with our self-righteous pins bursting sin balloons. If you look at the account of Nathan, Nathan's conversation with David, there's no indication that it was done publicly, nor was it direct, at least not initially. It was done in a way not to publicly expose, but to redeem, and we should strive to do so too. Of course, David could have responded sinfully um, to Nathan's rebuke. He could have issued orders for Nathan to be taken out. I mean, remember, he's king, right? So you'd have a couple of guys around who are just waiting for him to just order them to do something. But God's grace was provided in that moment for him not to do that. He could have been overcome with self-pity. How could I make this happen to me? I hate myself for doing this. Self-loathing and mourning about how wretched you are, wretched you are, is not repentance, it's pride. He could have resolved self-confidently, never to do it again. I'm going to try harder. But you know what? Resolve underestimates the draw of sin and overestimates our ability to resist. Remember, it was confidence in the flesh that got David in trouble in the first place. So David does not respond sinfully, but instead he responds in repentance. He acknowledges his sin, he has a change of mind about it, and the desire to grow and to be made whole. David shows us that when we sin, we can't help ourselves. Only God can. 
David shows us that when we sin, we can go to God for help because of God's character. Now, look again at verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Now, bear with me a bit. Suppose instead of using according to, David had used out of. So the verse would read, Have mercy on me, O God, out of your steadfast love, out of your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. What I believe is happening here is that according to gives the sense of there being no limit to God's faithful love and abundant compassion. When God gives us the help that we need, he doesn't have less of that help available to others. Why is this so? Because it is according to his character. God's character gives us solid hope. We can rely on his promises. We don't worry that he might be different from who he says he is. That's the God we serve. So, how do we know we're responding the right way after we sin? We first recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. And secondly, we understand the seriousness of sin and who it is ultimately against. I'm going to read verse 4 to 6 again. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. So David realizes what every believer seeking forgiveness must realize. That even though he had tragically wronged Uriah and Bathsheba, his sin ultimately was against God. We might think our sin is small and we might describe it as a mistake, a slip up, a weakness, or I hear this one recently, my bad, but it is serious before God. And this is not an overstatement, brethren. Scripture recounts many instances of God's judgment of sin. Let's look at just one of them. In Genesis 19, verse 26, it says, But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So we, I'm quite certain we know the story. Story of Lot and his family fleeing um, Sodom and Gomorrah as God's righteous judgment is raining down upon that place because of the evil and wickedness there. And God had said to Lot and his family to flee, flee from there and do not look back. Don't stop anywhere. And as we get down to verse 26, Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She was gone in an instant. 
you know, we, we read this story and um, it might seem really severe punishment for what appears to be just a glance, a look back. That's all she did. And she died on the spot. I think this teaches us um, a few things. What I think we do need to learn is that this never, we should never underestimate the gravity of our transgressions against a holy God, our holy God. We need to be a people who are humble and tremble at his word. We need to guard against becoming too familiar with it and therefore being flippant and treating it with carelessness. We should get into the habit of contemplating, pondering, and giving careful consideration to just how serious of an offense our sins are to our Holy Father. Here are a few questions for us as a church community. Are we being sucked in by the culture? Has our attitude, thoughts, and approach to sin changed over the years? Are we calling sin, sin? If we serve an unchanging God, then how we view sin should never change, no matter how popular or acceptable it has become in today's society. So to be clear, the culture does not get to decide what is sin or how it will be ultimately paid for. That has already been decided by God. And spoiler alert, he who creates dictates. There's proof of that in the word. Acts 17, 26. Let me read that quickly. And he made, there you have it, create. And he made one man from every nation. Sorry, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, dictates, allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So listen, brothers and sisters, all that we see around here is just really smoke screens. We serve a sovereign God who has not lost control. He is the one in control. Look to him, trust him. So how do we know we are responding the right way when we sin? First, we recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. Secondly, we understand the seriousness of sin and who it is ultimately against. And thirdly, we ask God for his restoring mercy. Verse 7 to 9 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So David boldly asks to be made whole again. Now for a sense of this brokenness he was experiencing, I'm just going to quickly read Psalm 32, 3 and 4. It says, when I was silent, my bones became brittle. That's the word used by the CSB. 
wasted away, that's the phrase used by the ESV. Waxed old, that's the phrase in the King James Version. From my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained in the summer's heat. David is writing about how unconfessed sin made him feel. Now, you and I know that with brittle bones, we would just crumble and our bodies would be useless. David was immobilized. He was exhausted. One commentary explains it this way. It was as if there was this slow internal decay caused by the heavy weight of his sin. Translated in Jamaican patois, we would say, David feel mash up. <laughs> David's remembrance of sin becomes deeper and deeper, destroying rest, wasting strength, until he makes a humble confession and asks God to be made whole again. David understands that God cannot simply overlook sin. He knows that cleansing is costly. It involves sacrifice. How do I know that? In verse 7 of Psalm 51, it says, Purge me with hyssop. Now, you know, hyssop was a, a small plant that was shaped in such a way that it could have been used as a, or it was used like a small broom or brush. And the priest would use hyssop to sprinkle blood over um, the sacrifice. So when David asks God to purify him with hyssop, he's referring to the process of sacrifice and specifically the sprinkling of blood. David knows that the penalty of sin is death. So in order for his sin to be removed from him, the penalty for sin must be paid on his behalf. David confesses his sin. Verse 5 of Psalm 32 says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What do we learn from, from that verse? First thing, brothers and sisters, confess honestly. No excuses, no blame shifting, no clothing it in culturally appropriate words to go away feeling better about yourself. Just honest, humble confession with sober knowledge that we aren't doing as well as we might want others to believe. Is there anyone here who has ever pretended in their life? Can I see a show of hands of those who have pretended? Oh, this, this congregation is doing better than I thought. <laughs> you have that new gig, new guy, new gal, and you've got to act the part, look the part, and then you fall apart. Aren't you happy you can't pretend with God? Aren't you happy? Yes. Amen. How well, about this? So you are a member of Hope Mississauga. And instead of confessing sin, you instead work hard to conceal it. 
dressing up with what you think is a good, strong, firm upper lip, complete with tall shoulders. Guess what? God sees through the charade. Remember this, however, that he also provides for us. In John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Do not fool yourselves into covering up sin. Confess them. And know this, that every sin you have committed or will commit has been paid for long before you even chose to sin. Get this. Paid for even before the birth of any of us gathered here. Now, isn't that amazing? Amen. So, how do we know we are responding the right way when we sin? We first recognize we choose to sin and are in need of help from God. We understand the seriousness of sin and who it is ultimately against. We ask God for his restoring mercy. And finally, we desire to help others not sin in the manner we did. Verse 10, 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So David wants to be missional for God. And to do that, he requests a new heart. You see, David knows that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. He knows he needs a change at the very core of his being. So he knows that this is not about somehow being a better person or trying harder. He realizes he needs a radical and complete overhaul at the level of his decision making. He needs new affections, new desires, new longings. He wants a new heart, and this is what God gives. David begs. He begs for continued communion with God. He asks that the joy that God's salvation brings be restored. In verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Only God can do this. It's God's salvation, not David's. Remember how David was feeling in Psalm 32? Crushed, immobilized. But guess what? God makes crushed bones rejoice. Verse 8 says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Brothers and sisters, when we sin and defy God, we offend and hinder our relationship with him. Sin destroys relationships 
and steals joy. But guess what? Confession and repentance restores our relationship with God and our joy in him. And there's something I, I, I want to point out I don't want you to miss at all. If you, when you get a chance, go back through Psalm 51. You'll find that there's no mention of David's bones being healed or mended. In fact, David didn't pray um, for that. You know, when we talk about being restored and experiencing joy again, it doesn't mean that the consequences of sin go away. David's sin had disastrous effects on his life and that of his family. His son with Bathsheba dies. His daughter Tamar is raped by her half-brother Amnon. And David's son Absalom murders Amnon. Brethren, sin has ripple effects. God wants us to avoid it. Sin has ripple effects. That's why we need to be involved in a church that strives to be a healthy community because we need help from brothers and sisters in the faith to help, help navigate those consequences. So an appeal to those of us who might be on the fringes of and thinking through you know, whether or not you should really get plugged in in this um, church. I thought that way when I arrived in 2009 also, but I'm happy that God really, um, you know, opened my heart to just, um, you know, be open to being authentic and real with loving people. And this congregation, this church certainly is one that cares well for people. And I'm not saying that it's a perfect church. In fact, you'll never find one um, on this side of eternity. But certainly, it is a perfecting church. It's a church that you can come to, and you can expect to be fed in and grow and to mature. So let me encourage you guys to really think about that. You know, so sometimes when we, you know, we, 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 we um, confess sins, we wonder, you know, why the consequences remain for a long time afterward. But for those who trust in Christ for salvation, thank God we don't pay for our sins. Christ did. On the cross, he said, it is, it is finished. Now, for the unsaved who might be with us today, will you trust alone in Christ? Will you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? If this is something that you know, you're thinking about, um, you might want to explore, please, um, please don't leave before speaking to someone, a leader, an elder, and um, certainly we would love to, to hear from you and to, um, to pray with you. So verse 13 of Psalm 51 says, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. You see, a restored David is compelled to spread the news of God's grace. He doesn't want others to sin as he did. He doesn't want to hoard his restored joy. He desires that his broken life be used by God to heal others. 
how do we respond to the grace that God has given us? We should be telling our neighbors that only Jesus saves. How about practicing that right now? Turn to someone beside you and say, only Jesus saves, trust him. Brothers and sisters, this trust is not a leap in the dark, as others might want us to think. It is, biblically speaking, reliance. A rock-solid, truth-grounded, promise-sealed trust in the risen Jesus to save us from sin. As I close, I don't know if you noticed that there is nowhere in the psalm that David was praying about restraint or for men to hold him accountable or for um, protected eyes. No, I'm not saying that. Those are not good things to pray about. But I believe that David knows that sexual sin is a symptom. It is not a disease. And we should know that too. We give way to sin because we don't have the fullness of joy and gladness in Christ. We waver and are enticed because God does not have the place in our feelings and thoughts. He doesn't have the place in our heart that he should. Now, um, if I just quickly go back to the beginning of what was read, I think it might, have just, it might have just passed over. It says, to the choir master. Now, I don't know if you get that, but... Here it is, David has um, sinned and it has been put to music. Now think for one moment that, you know, um, Jameson comes up here on one Sunday and just starts to sing about your sin. Um, we'd be uncomfortable, right? But here it is that this um, was done to um, the, the psalm. So it was put to music and it was used in connection with worship services conducted in the temple at Jerusalem. And there are two things we can learn from this. The first thing is that the songs we listen to can help or hinder or fight against sin. And secondly, concealing sin never works. David tried this. I have tried it. Some of us will try it today. Some of us are trying it now. Some of us will try it this week. Brothers and sisters, concealing sin never works. It only reaps misery. But confession and repentance brings restoration and joy. Pray with me. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for just this opportunity to, to share from your word. Lord, um, this is a hard, um, this, these are hard things to, 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 to think through. But Father, we know, Lord, that um, when we suffer, it's for our own good. Pray, Father, that um, we'd see your word as being truth. We'd see it as what makes us realize what is wrong and what will correct us. And in Psalm 51, you have used the life of David, a man after your own heart, to reveal to us here today 
what is on your heart about the right way to respond when we sin. We pray that your Holy Spirit will empower us as we fight against sin. And may we not have rest, Father, when we sin until we come humbly begging for your help. I pray, Lord, that we will not only be hearers of your word, but we would be doers also. In the name of your Father, sorry, in the name of your Son, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.